And thank you for reading, Sarah. And um, yes, it's probably the, the, the wrong thing to call Steve Pastor Steve. I, I've been pointed out to me recently by our, our current pastor in Mafra that the word pastor in the New Testament is mostly a verb. It's mostly a doing word, right? It's not a title. Um, and it's the same word as shepherd. So a pastor is, is, that's what they do. They shepherd God's people. Okay, let me just pray as we come to God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Please speak to each one of us today that we may live lives worthy of the calling we've received. Please spur us on uh, towards love and good deeds and to a greater knowledge and understanding of the truth and a greater knowledge of you, a greater love for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, so Judges 18 is what we're looking at this morning. Um, I know it's maybe a bit of a strange chapter to to preach on um, in the Old Testament there, but I was reading this a while back and just some of the lessons that uh, came out of it I was really struck by and uh, so I, I thought I'd share some of them with you this morning. I don't intend to speak for a long time and I, but I am going to read through the chapter again bit by bit um, so please bear with me as we do that together and as I try and share just a few things that um, God has taught me through this passage. Um, this is, I guess, when I first, this passage stood out to me. My wife and I were reading this little devotion book uh, put out by Our Daily Bread and, um, yeah, the, just this, this chapter, chapter 18, um, really stood out to me. So let's make a start. The first verse there says, In those days... There was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So just to put this in context, this was the time before they had kings in Israel, before King Saul, King David, King Solomon. They came later. Um, No inheritance had fallen to Dan. So why was this? Was this a failure on God's part? He had, he had made a promise, Yahweh or the Lord had made a promise with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that they would have an inheritance in this particular land that he was giving them. Back in Genesis 15, verses 18 to 21, that inheritance was from Egypt to the Euphrates River. It was the, the land that was occupied by the, the nations of the Canaanites, very wicked um, nations that were doing all sorts of detestable things. And God had promised to give them this land. And each tribe was given a certain area. In Joshua 19, verses 40 to 46, it makes it clear there that Dan's territory was between Ephraim and Judah there. Um, on the map, you see that's where it was there. That was their inheritance. So why 
has their inheritance not fallen to them? Well, if we go back to chapter 1 of Judges, we see a little bit of how this came about. So, Judges chapter 1, verse 22. And we say, see, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, at Tana and its villages, all the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblem and its villages. Sorry, let's just go back. That was verse 27, wasn't it? Let's go back to verse 22. The house of Joseph went up against Bethel and the Lord was with them. So it started off with Joseph and they took their, their territory and all went well. And then verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Then verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. They became subject to forced labour instead. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Achor. So you see this ongoing, started off well with the tribe of Joseph and then it all got a bit too hard and they, they failed to work together to trust God and to, to take the inheritance that he'd promised them. Uh, verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. They became subject to forced labour. Then verse 34, this is where we get to the tribe of Dan. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heres, in Ajalon and Shalbim. But the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them and they became subject to forced labour. And the border of the Amorite ran from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upward. So then again, over in Judges chapter 5, we get a little bit more of a picture of it. This is Deborah's song, um, verse 17 of chapter 5, and it says, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he stay with the ships? So we see you know, an inkling here that they, they weren't really willing, uh, they were a bit comfortable to obey God when it meant getting their hands dirty. And so I guess they had two options here. Now, they hadn't successfully gone into the land they were, they were promised. They could repent of their unbelief and turn to God and, and ask him to defeat their enemies or they could look for a comfortable place where they could overpower an unsuspecting people. And so we see that's what they, what they do. So let's keep reading from chap, uh, chapter 18 again from verse 2. So the people... So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtel, to spy out the land and explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognised the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What's your business here? And the Levite said to them, This is Micah. This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me and I've become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which you are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. 
Now our, our oldest son's name is Micah, just for the record. We didn't name him after this Micah, but after <laughs> the good Micah prophet, uh, prophet of the Old Testament. So a bit of background here um, from chapter 17, so the, the chapter immediately before this, we learn that Micah, uh, this young man here, he hired a Levite to be his priest. Uh, his mum was involved in the deal as well and they paid a, uh, some money for him to be their priest. Now this situation was totally contrary to what God had set up for his people. Um, the Levites were supposed to serve in the temple and at this, state, at this point that was um, that God's temple was in, or not the temple but the, the Ark of the Covenant was in Shiloh Um, they were to be in one place serving the people of that area. They weren't to be opportunists. They weren't to be wandering around um, seeking and looking for places to to have um, private employment. And and what's more uh, is that the Levites weren't actually priests. They were to serve uh, and do the the practical things in the the temple. Um, They weren't actually uh, priests as such. So this Levite had gone about things his own way. He wasn't following God's plan. And really, it was a foolish thing for the Danites to ask for his advice. Why would you ask, what's God's will, from someone who's clearly not living in God's will? So, you know, where, where do we go for, for advice? Do we ask people that we know and trust that are following the Lord? Or do we go other places? for advice, hoping to get the things, the, the, um, what we want to hear. Going on to verse 7, Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. When they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtal, their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise, let's go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it's very good. And will you do nothing? Don't be slow to go to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you'll come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands a place where there is no lack of anything that's in the earth. You can see the stars in their eyes, can't you? They see this wonderful place. So where did they go? They went up right up north here where the red circle is. That's, uh, that's this place called Laish. Right far away from the Amorites and the Philistines that were in the land that God had had given them as an inheritance. So they knew what the true and living God wanted but they wanted a self-made God. They wanted one that fitted in with their lifestyle and so they went up there and, and took things into their own hands. And so then things start to go, go downhill pretty quick. Let's keep going from verse 11. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtal and went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. 
On this account, that place is called Mahanadan to this day. Behold, it's west of Kiriath-Jerim. Sorry. And they passed on from there to a hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Surprise, surprise. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to the brothers, Do you know that in these houses there is an ephod, household gods, a carved image and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite and the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. So not content to go and take the land from the ungodly Philistines, they took 600 fighting men from one end of Israel to the other but they wouldn't use those 600 men to fight God's battle. Their, their disobedience led to blatant idolatry. Here's a bunch of idols. What, what do you want to do, guys? Of course, they, they went in. Idols were... It, it's hard for us to imagine, you know, these metal images being something so tempting for them, but these were the gods of the day. This is what the nations around them were doing. And so... Uh, it was very tempting for them to go and, and, and stay at this place. They, they should have recalled Proverbs 6.27 Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? In the New Testament we have that wonderful verse from, from Timothy uh, to flee temptation and flee the, resist the devil and, and flee temptation. But notice that their, um, their wicked motives were actually wrapped up in good intention. They did actually ask about the welfare. I guess that's the reason they, they went in there, so to speak, to go and ask Micah, how are you doing? There was some good intention wrapped up there. I wonder what temptations you and I face. What things are you likely to draw, are likely to draw you away from the Lord? Each of us face temptation, different temptations for each of us, but we all face temptation. Flee such things. Don't have anything to do with them. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods and the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be a priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. It's easy to convince someone, easy to convince this, this priest, wasn't it? He wasn't living in God's way and this seemed a little bit more prosperous, a little bit better, better deal than just working for one and so he went with them. And so we see the Danites here further sinking into sin. So now theft and deception, they stole the idols. 
they deceived this young Levite even further. And so he took this promotion, promotion he couldn't refuse. And this priest who began as a dissatisfied individual, he wasn't content with God's call on his life to be a Levite. He ended up leading an entire tribe in idolatry. And um, in fact, the tribe of Dan, if you look through uh, Chronicles, the first Chronicles from chapter 4 to chapter 7, I think it is, it's got the list of all the the tribes and how many uh, numbers of each in each tribe. And the tribe of Dan is not mentioned there. And it's replaced with with Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph. Um, And it's also not mentioned in Revelation. The tribe of Dan is not there. They're, um, they'd, they'd pursued their own goals and in the process um, missed out on the inheritance of, um, that God had, had had for them. Let's keep going from verse 21. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. When they'd gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the house near Micah's house were called out and they overtook the people of Dan. They shouted to the people of Dan who turned around and said to Micah, what's the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away and what have I left? How then do you ask me what's the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us lest angry fellows fall upon you and you'll lose your life with the lives of your household. And the people of Dan went their way and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. Notice the irony here. Micah had to go and rescue his own gods. (laughs) Who wants a God who needs to be rescued? Don't we want a God who is able to rescue us? What have I left, he said. So this shows the emptiness of the idol worship. He'd come to rely upon so much on the gods that he'd made that he couldn't see any hope anymore. His gods had consumed him. And then Dan threatens Micah. This just shows the lawlessness at this time in Israel. Several times throughout the book of Judges it says there was no king, everyone did as they saw fit. And, you know, if, if you struggle with the Old Testament and what it, you know, there's lots of terrible things in the Old Testament and it's, it's very open about the history and what happened. And um, this is just a classic example of what happens when people we go about our own way and, and you know we can look around the world we can look at in our even in our own homes I'm sure and even in our own hearts and see that um, things are not too much different that we are prone to, to go our own way and do our own thing um, and the world is messed up verse 27. The people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him and they came to Laish 
to a quiet and unsuspecting people and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. It was, that, it was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they built the city and li- rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan after the name of Dan their ancestor who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. And that was 369 years, um, just for the record, that, that the house of God was at Shiloh. That they would have done well at this point to consider the, the words of the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 29 and 30. It says, Do not plan evil against your neighbour who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. But they didn't. They went and, and set upon this, this peaceful people and they'd, when, when God had given them an inheritance further south. Verse 30 they, says they set up the carved image for themselves. It's interesting back in verse 10, I think it is, where the, the five men had previously said God had given this land into their hands. God's given us this land. But now there's no acknowledgement of God. Now, now that the land is theirs, instead they, they stand up this idol as if the idol had given them success. And it's a bit like the Proverbs 3.6, which most of you I'm sure will know. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. It's very hard to acknowledge something being from God if you know that in fact it's not from God, that it's something that, that you've pursued by your own means. Um, and so the people here couldn't acknowledge God as being the one who gave it to them. Instead they set up their idols. And so it's a sad story in the Old Testament but there are some lessons for us and we're thankful that the story doesn't end there. So one, one, um, so a couple, just a couple of things for the application here. Firstly, I guess our obedience or disobedience has far-reaching effects. The chain of events that ultimately led Israel into sin and idolatry began with, with one man, in a sense, with Micah. Uh, he just took a few images into his home, just made a, a couple of little gods. But let's not be deceived. Our actions have flow-on effects um, for the whole of God's people. There's a quote from Marshall Siegel from Desiring God and he says this, he says, The sobering and inspiring reality is that far, from, far more is at stake in our obedience than our own relationship with Christ. A hundred hearts hang in some real way on how we love or not. And through them, hundreds more now and for years and years to come, God has made our faithfulness 
a catalyst for others' perseverance. God has made our faithfulness a catalyst for others' perseverance. Obey for God's sake, for your own sake, but also for their sake. So don't ever think that what you do won't affect others. And, and secondly, I guess the, the Christian life is not, it's not about taking the easy road, is it? Gary Inrig writes, It's so tempting to carve out a laish for ourselves, a quiet little island where we can live in affluence and forget about the needy world outside, the enemies of the gospel and Jesus' radical claims on our lives. But if we want to live in laish, we must become idol worshippers. No consistent New Testament Christian can live a life of ease. No lover of the cross can retire from God's mission in the world. If we want to settle down into life as comfortable Christians, unconcerned about people's need and God's call, we're going to have to serve an idol. And of course, our ultimate example of this is Jesus, isn't it? Even though Israel stuffed up terribly and the Old Testament is full of this, the, his people eventually, through the Israelite people, Jesus was born. And he is God himself who came to earth to this broken world. He died a criminal's death even though he was innocent. And he did that so that sinful people like you and I can be reconciled to him. So that we can have our sin paid for and have fellowship with the living God. It's Christ who, Jesus Christ who fulfills what Israel were not able to fill fulfill. See, the Danites pursued a comfortable life. It's not that comfort is bad. Comfort is a good thing. I like to have a heater when it's cold. I like to have food when I'm hungry. And the New Testament talks about comfort as well. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.16 talks about God's comfort. Um, it says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. But the comfort that comes from God comes through obedience to God. It's not a worldly self-seeking comfort, which doesn't last, but it's eternal and it's deep in our hearts. And just like the Danites, we've been given an inheritance. It's not a piece of land in Palestine, but as Peter says, it's an, it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And this is an inheritance that is for the nations. The Psalms, as I said before, the Psalms often talk about this and Um, Steve read this morning from Psalm 72 where it talks about all the the desert tribes and all the nations bowing down before God. 
Psalm 2 talks about uh, the inheritance being for all the nations. And so I guess the challenge for you and me is to examine our life. Is, is the best use of our time and our effort and our money spent on pursuing an easier life? Well, this is idolatry. Let's repent and ask the Lord to show us what seeking first his kingdom should look like in our situation. We saw some examples from uh, people from Niger where they had lost a lot to follow Christ. Taryn's language helper who lost her children for a time. The young, young man who the young builder who lost his wife and his earthly inheritance. My language helper who lost who, or who left the security of his job to go to Bible college. So I encourage you to speak to one another and encourage one another with the um, encourage one another to to Pursue the opportunities God has given you and to to consider this inheritance that we have in Christ, this eternal life. Um, Are we enjoying that? Are we making that known? Let me pray for us and I'll just use some of Ephesians chapter 1 in that prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word to us. Thank you that through Jesus we can be reconciled to you. Thank you that though our lives are often sinful and messed up like the Danites, you are gracious and compassionate and forgiving and thank you that you have already acted in the Lord Jesus You've come down to us so that we could come near to you. Pray for anyone here, Lord, who does not know the joy and peace of salvation and that inheritance, insurance of that inheritance to come. Pray that, Lord, they would put their trust in you and in Jesus Christ. Pray, Lord, for for your people here. Pray that the Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give each one here the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That have their eyes, all of us, Lord, would have our eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your great might that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name and where he is seated now and interceding on our behalf. And so we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.